So we're a few weeks into this series on the tabernacle, and we're going to continue that today. The hope today is to kind of give us a little bit of a tour of the tabernacle. We've talked some about its construction. We've talked a bunch about the furniture that you'd find within it. We've talked about the ways all those things point to Jesus and the ways those things point to how we get to live our lives as followers of Jesus here. And now we're going to do more of that today. And so here we are in Exodus 26, 31 to 34. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain, and here's what we want to highlight, the curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant law in the most holy place. And so what we're seeing in this text is that there's two rooms within the tent of the tabernacle. There's the holy place and the most holy place. And where we want to get to today is the most holy place. Caroline has done an amazing job unpacking so much of the furniture found both in the holy place and the most holy place. And we want to get to the holy place today. But I think if you're, if you're like me, how many of you just like to skip ahead to the most important part, to the, to the good stuff? Are you like that? You just want to skip through the process. You want to skip through the pattern. You want to skip through the work. You just want to get to the end. Or maybe you're like my wife. You're watching a show together, and, you know, you're getting really into the show, and then I look over, and she's on her phone Googling, and I'm like, what are you doing? The show is so good. Why are you not paying attention? She's like, I am. I'm finding out what happens. <laughs> right? Like, some of us, we just like to skip ahead. By the way, don't do I'm like, don't. Well, be quiet then. Don't give me any of the spoilers. I Actually, this is, I, I don't like spoilers. But we like to skip ahead, don't we? But I, but I want to, I, I think when we talk about the tabernacle and the pattern that God has put before us in the tabernacle, that skipping through the pattern is problematic. And so if it's okay with you, I want to walk us through the tabernacle today and, and sort of see what happens, see what God has for us, see maybe how Jesus is revealed through this. Maybe God has something for our life to speak through, just like how we get through this thing. And the first thing to note here, if you could put up, I think we have a slide of just the tabernacle, sort of the tabernacle series, like, great. And so what you can see is there's this tent within this larger tent. And so there's this courtyard outside. But where I want to start is there's one gate into this thing. There's one gate. There's one entrance. There's one way in. One way. One way into the tabernacle. And again, what does tabernacle mean? Dwelling place. What is this? On earth as it is in heaven. This is God dwelling with God's people. And there's one way in. So how many of you remember John chapter 10 verse 9? Where Jesus says this. And maybe this will start to connect why this might have been so controversial when Jesus said this to his original audience. Because John 10 verse 9, Jesus says this. I'm the gate. I'm the gate, and anyone who comes in through me will what? Be saved. So Jesus in John 10, verse 9, 
is throwing back to the tabernacle. And John is making these connections all through that gospel. That if we want to live our lives in the presence of God, if we want to be people who dwell with God on earth as it is in heaven, if we want to be people who are saved, there's one way in. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way in. And everything else about the tabernacle that we're going to talk about hinges on understanding how does this point to and reveal Jesus? What does this tell us about who Jesus is? What does this tell us about what we need from Jesus? Are you with me? Is this okay? So there's one way in. And here would be my invitation from the start. Could we come again through the one gate of Jesus? There's so many different opinions in the world. There's so, much different, there's so many different ways of doing things and living our lives and being in the world. So many different kind of people that we can be. But I would, inv- I would want to invite us, Grace Midtown, to be a people who are going all in on Jesus. Are you with me, like, just pushing your whole life to the center of the table? Like, I know there's a lot of choices, but the choice I'm making is Jesus. Where I'm going is with Jesus. The way I'm modeling my life is after Jesus. I'm putting my hope and my future on Jesus. I've got nothing else but Jesus. My life plan is Jesus. What am I going to look like? Jesus. What am I going to act like? Jesus. What am I going to smell like? Jesus. How am I going to make decisions? Jesus. How am I going to spend my money? Jesus. My ethics? Jesus. My theology? Jesus. My philosophy? Jesus. What I watch on TV? Jesus. What I listen to on the podcast? Jesus. What I think about masculinity? Jesus. How I parent my kids? Jesus. How we do our marriage? Jesus. Like, can we again just go all in and say, Jesus? Is that okay? That's the invitation this morning. We're a church, y'all. We're here for Jesus. I've got nothing else but Jesus. I graduated next to last in my high school class. I don't have anything smart to tell you. I don't have a cool degree. I don't have PhD after my name. The only thing that I've got, and the only thing we've got, is Jesus. So are you with me? So we go through the Jesus gate. And when we get into that courtyard, there's two pieces of furniture that we're going to see. We're going to see an altar, and we're going to see a piece of furniture called the laver, which is, a, which is a bowl full of water. And both those pieces of furniture are going to be made of brass. And it's going to be a noisy place. It's going to be a messy place. It's going to be a bloody place. Because it's a place of sacrifice. This is where, where animals were sacrificed. It's a place of washing at the labor is where you would wash the blood from your hands. It's going to be a place of washing. So it's a dirty, muddy, noisy place. And I think in the culture we live in, we're so detached from the reality of that. And yet in other ways... We're so attuned to life is noisy, isn't it? And life is gritty. And life can be hard. And life is bloody. And we face the realities of death. 
And we, we see the consequences of sin, don't we? We see the consequences of our own sin, the own harm that we do, the consequences of our own choices. We see and experience the sin of others and the choices they make and the consequences, right? Like life is bloody and it's noisy and it's messy. And there's a fire there that never goes out right on the altar. There's a fire. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's real. And I love it that these two pieces of furniture meet us in the realness of our life. They're not disembodied abstract realities divorced from where and how we live. They're in the courtyard. They're on the ground floor. They're right here in the thick of it with you. They're in the noise and the mess and the blood and the sweat and the tears, and the sacrifice, and the sin, and the guilt, and the shame of our lives. And so we have these two pieces of furniture made of bronze, and bronze speaks of judgment. And if I'm honest, I'm so tentative to talk about this word judgment because I know it's a loaded word for us. Some of us have been so abused and manipulated by this word, by judgmental people holding microphones like me. Some of us have real church hurt. Some of us have experienced the manipulation where where people use judgment to manipulate our guilt and to manipulate our shame to get us to respond in a way that looks good for them but bears no power or change or transformation in our own lives that it leaves us feeling worse than when we came, that we experience nothing of God. Has anyone experienced that? And I'm so sorry that that's been your experience, and I'm so here to welcome that. And there's such a place here to process that and work through that. And yet, we need a place to go, don't we, with things like guilt and shame. And we need a place to go, don't we, with things like our sin. And so God provides those things for us in the altar and in the labor. And I want to say this because I think so often in God providing these things, sometimes what we can think is is that, that God's judgment is punishment. And we don't want to hear these kinds of words because we think, we're going, to be, we're going to be punished for what we've done, and we're going to be exposed for how we feel or don't feel. But God's judgment isn't punishment. God's not punishing you. But I would say this, God is inviting us to walk through God's fire. And God's fire is the fire of love, not the fire of punishment. So yes, when we come in and we see the altar of bronze and it speaks of judgment and we see the fire that never goes out and it's hot and it's sweaty and there's noise and there's mess and there's blood, what I would want us to consider is the fire of God as the manifestation of the love of God. And it is the invitation to walk through that fire that burns up all the attachments we have in our lives to the lesser things, to other loves. It's a fire that purifies us 
from all the things that we've given ourselves to that aren't God. Because remember, we've come through the Jesus gate, the one-way door, the one-way gate. And yet somewhere along the way, we've given ourselves and our lives and our value system and our decisions to so many other things, and it's okay. Like, God's not offended by that. God's provided a way for you to walk through God's love and be free from that. And so when we see the judgment of God and the fire of God, I want us to think of the liberation of God. That it's God's freedom plan for your life. But that stuff that we're hanging on to, that stuff that we're valuing and prioritizing is more important to God. If I dare say those things that we've made idols of in our lives, those things that are enslaving us, those things that have power over us, those things that are dictating the way we live our lives and the decisions that we make and the way we view God and ourselves and the world around us, the way we treat our neighbors, those things, they need the fire of God to come and to burn them up. Because it's not something that we can just muster up in our own, right? That kind of freedom we've tried, haven't we? It's not just something we can do in and of ourselves, but it's the grace of God, the empowerment of God that comes and does the work for us. It's part of the God fighting for us. Like part of God fighting for you is God liberating you from the things that you're attached to. It's the love of God. And of course, this altar, doesn't it? It's, by the way, it's wood overlaid with bronze, and so it speaks to the cross. The wood on which Christ himself was nailed to. It's, it's pointing to, it's the picture of the once and for all sacrifice of God for all people, for whosoever will come. Have you heard that theological term, once and for all, for all? And that's what this is speaking of, that, that, this, that this sacrifice, this fire of God's love, this, this purification process that brings liberation. Jesus does this for us and offers this to us and to the whole world. Right? It's Romans, it's Romans uh, 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ does something with the guilt that we feel. Christ does something with the sin that we have and that we do. Is this good news? I know this is heavier than what I normally do. I'm sorry. But y'all, I'm, I'm a pastoral care pastor. So let me tell you what I do nearly all day, every day is I listen to how the very real sin in our lives and the lives of others wreaks havoc in our lives. The stories that I sit through and hear and that so many others of you sit through and listen to, I know we've got therapists here and other pastors here, the stories that you hear around your dinner tables and at, at, at coffee shops as you share stories with one another, the very real lives that you've had to live, you are acquainted with how sin wreaks havoc in your life. And there's real effect. It really touches you. It really gets a hold of you, doesn't it? 
it really has a power. Whether it's something you've done or that's been done to you, but it has power, doesn't it? But there's a better power. There's a greater power. That we come to the altar of God, the place where God judges that sin, and his judgment is to free you and to liberate you, to burn up in the fire all that hinders love in your life. Is that good news for anyone? Come on. And when we get to the laver, here's, here's the thing with the laver. It's, it's, so we've got fire burning up all the things that hinder love. We've got fire that is the river of God's love, freeing us, liberating us, burning up the attachments. And then we have the laver. And the laver is this idea, you've heard this in Ephesians, right? Like, wash yourself in the water of God's what? Word. And in some ways, we could think of it this way. It probably doesn't work out this neatly, but for preaching purposes, in, in some ways, we could think of it this way, that if the fire of God deals with our guilt, perhaps it's being washed in the water of God's word that heals our shame. Because we have guilt, don't we? And we have shame. And we need somewhere to go with it. And we live in a culture that wants to avoid both those things because they don't feel very good. And we've got all kinds of different ways of doing that. And I think sometimes we even avoid talking about these kinds of texts within the text because what I know is we're going to feel those things. But I don't want us to be a church that can't face guilt and shame. Like, we just can't be a church that hides from it. We can't be a church that buries it. We can't be a church that avoids it, especially when a good God has provided a way through it. But if you don't name it, if we don't confess it, then we suffer from it, and it has power over us. But the moment we come to the altar of God, the fire of God, the moment we come to the laver, to the place of the washing in the word of God, what do we get? We get some freedom. We get some hope. We get some healing. Like some things in our life start to change. And, it might, and it's not going to be perfect from that moment on. I get it. And you might have to keep coming back and back and back. And that's okay. Keep coming back to the cross. Keep coming back to being a person who's washed in the water of God's word. I'd rather be immature coming to the cross. I'd rather be immature coming to the washing of the water of God's word than mature in the halls of humanity. Like, be the teenager that just goes to every altar call. Be that person in your life. It's just, it's okay. Some of you are like, yeah, that was me, every camp. <laughs> me too, and I get home from camp and in my room praying for God to save me. And, you know, and there's like a real tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, man, like, there's so much more, and we're going to get to that. And it's just okay. Like, it's just okay to run to God. It's okay for your kids to run to you when they need something. It's okay. But there's a washing. I love it. Caroline said, right, there's that zip it moment with God, like, these, like the washing in the Why? This is like the who told you that moment. You know in the garden, when Adam and Eve are trying to justify themselves, and God's like, who told you that? 
what are you talking about? That's like the moment where you zip it and you hear what God has to say about who you are. Because some of us think we're going to come through the fire and to the water and you're going to hear more about how you're a worm and more about how you're not worthy and more about how you've messed up and more about how you don't deserve it. And it's not the right conversation and it's not the one God's having with you. In the washing of the water of God's word, you're going to hear, you're my beloved. You're going to hear, I desire you. You're going to hear, this is not who you are. There's something else for you, right? There's blood and there's dirt on your hands, and it's marred the image of who you are. And as you wash those things off in the water of God's word, what happens is the real you begins to emerge, the beautiful you, the bright you, the anointed you, the God in you, you. And again, it's not that we'll never feel shame again. In fact, some researchers would say if you don't feel shame, you're probably a psychopath. So have your moments of shame. Just know that when we do, it's an indicator to go to the one who washes us in the water of his word, who speaks a better word than our culture speaks, who speaks a better word than the tape loops in our head speak, who speaks a better word than that person or those people in our story speaks, who speaks a better word than Instagram or threads or Twitter or the blogs or whoever or whatever you're following speaks. That however you're comparing yourself, wherever you're competing, whatever it is that you're doing, that there is a word that's a better word. Amen? Is this okay? So we come through the Jesus gate. There's one way, Jesus. And I know we'd like to skip to Jesus as my friend. But I don't want us to be a people who skip to Jesus as my friend and never deal with our stuff. Because Jesus is too good of a friend to let you never deal with your stuff. The kindest thing God can do is to be tender-hearted in helping you heal from your stuff. The word salvation, I am the gate. Anyone who comes through me will be sozoed, made whole. We use the word saved. We think this is eternal salvation. It includes that, but made whole. You see, the fire of God and the water of God is about us becoming whole. Shalom. On earth as it is in heaven. Wholeness. Complete. Not perfect, but whole. Not perfect, but beautiful. And this is what God does. Now, there's an invitation to go beyond the courtyard. And I want to say this because some of us get stuck in the courtyard. Some of us have lived our whole Christian lives out here in the courtyard. We've lived at the foot of the cross and the washing of the water of God's word. And again, there's no shame if you're stuck. It's just that there's more. That there's more to the Christian life than the fire and the water. There's more to the Christian life than the sacrifice. There's, there's more. And the invitation is to come into the tent to the holy place. To move beyond my guilt and my shame. To, to move beyond 
Jesus as the judge and to begin to enter into the relationship of Jesus as my friend. Why? And Caroline's talked so much about this, so I'm going to move through this real quickly because what we find in the holy place is what? We, we find the table of bread. What do we find? We, we find the lampstand with the oil. What do we find? We find the altar of incense. This is those things that point to man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from what? From the mouth of God. I am the bread of life. That's what's waiting for us in the tent, beyond the courtyard. It's friendship and communion with Jesus. That I can live an oily life. In other words, I can live the life that God has designed me to live, that real transformation happens, that my life can change and can look different. I can give off another kind of light than I used to give off because I begin to live by the illumination of God's revelation through the lampstand, right? That I live a life where I'm tending to the oil, where I'm allowing the anointing, the smearing of God's presence on my life to grow and to mature. Knowing that even in that place when I mess up, I just kind of come back out here, yep, altar labor, and then come back in. And then there's this altar of incense there, prayer. prayer. Incense speaks of prayer. I love this. There's this other New Testament verse where Paul says that you be the fragrance of Christ everywhere you go. Because when we pass through the fire and the washing, and when we come into the holy place and dine with Jesus at his table, and we're sustained by the bread of life, when we begin to tend to the oil and the anointing in our life, our life is a prayer. And our life gives off the fragrance of Christ wherever we go, no matter who we're around. If the outer, if the courtyard is justification, maybe we could say the holy place is sanctification. It's the place of becoming like God, as God has intended. So I'd invite you to go back and listen to Caroline's talks because there's so much there for us to learn about how we become the people that God has designed us to be, living by the patterns that God has given us, that our lives give off a different kind of fragrance and a different kind of light as we're sustained on a different kind of food. Are you with me? And finally, we get in to the holy place, the holy of holies. We pass through a veil, which I love this. You, you know it's, it's familiar from the crucifixion story, the Easter story, that this veil and the temple was ripped in two. That was once hidden behind a veil has now been made available for all the world to see. It's no longer a mystery, but we have the express image available to us in and through the life and work of Jesus. Amen? But as we go into the Holy of Holies, what's in there, right? Caroline talked about this furniture as well. There's the box and there's the seat. By the way, there's no light in here. God's own face illuminates this room. This is the place of intimacy. This is the place of, and Moses spoke to God face to face. This is the, God, I want to see your face. I, I want to know you. I really want to see you and be with you where you are. It is the place of intimacy. And it's the place of God's holiness. Right? And in many ways, this whole thing is about God's holiness, isn't it? 
And this is where I want to land and the band can come. Because what's so amazing to me is when we think about holiness, so often what we think about holiness is God's judgment. We think about how we don't measure up. We think about God's anger. We think about how we're not good enough. All those kinds of things that is unapproachable. But what's so beautiful is, and we know this, that in the most holy of holies, in the very heart of God, the very heartbeat of God, in the most intimate place of who God is and how God is revealing God's self to the world, is mercy. It's mercy. It's mercy. God's holiness, what makes God other than and transcendent, what makes God different than you and me, what makes God different than the gods that surrounded Israel in the wilderness, and what makes God different than the gods we idolize in our culture today is the heart of God is mercy. By the way, what's so amazing about the mercy seat to me is this. To this point, we've had things like wood overlaid with bronze, even the box wood overlaid with gold. When we get to the mercy seat, it's just pure gold. Mercy isn't God capitulating to humanity. Mercy is through and through who God is and what God offers. And so maybe you're at different places. All of us are at different places. And maybe this morning you're just coming through the gate. And as you would come through that one gate of Jesus, the word that I would want you to embrace in your heart as you give your life to Jesus today is that God is mercy. Jesus is mercy. That's what's waiting for you, the welcome of mercy, the tenderheartedness of mercy, the kindness of mercy awaits you as you come through the Jesus gate. And maybe you find yourself for the first time or again and again as we have to do, or maybe it's been so long since you've visited the altar and the labor. It's been so long since you've allowed your life to be examined by the fiery love of God. It's been so long since you've looked into the laver made of bronze, but also made of bronze mirrors as a, we see ourselves as we really, truly are and allow the washing of God's word to cleanse us. But if you come to the fire, if you're in the courtyard this morning and you come to the fire, you find yourself washing at the laver, Whatever the loop in your head is telling you, hear this preacher say, it's mercy. It's mercy. It's the loving kindness and mercy of God. It's the kind of mercy that frees you. It's the kind of mercy that forgives you. It's the kind of mercy that friends you. That this is what's happening in the fire of God, in the water of God. This is what's happening as we pass through the holy place into the most holy place. It's the mercy of God saying, beloved, you're forgiven. Beloved, there's freedom for you. Beloved, be my friend. Amen. Bless you.